Welcome, my friend, to another episode of The PA Is In. Today, we're talking to Amber Bender. Amber is both a PA and a certified functional medicine coach. She is going to unpack for us what functional medicine is. We're going to talk about what it isn't and how functional medicine is really fundamentally different than the traditional medicine that we think of. We're going to unpack a whole lot about emotional eating, your relationship with your body, how to remember what it feels like to be hungry, and a really, really important reminder about being a caregiver and how you cannot pour from an empty cup. You matter and taking care of you is so incredibly important. So welcome. The PAs are in. Amber, welcome to the show. I am so excited that you are here and to dive into some of these important topics around health and functional medicine. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So it's an honor to be able to chat with you and just to connect other, you know, other PAs. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background, both as a PA and with what you're doing as a coach. Yes. So um, I've been a physician assistant since 2015. Um, I started out in kind of the critical care and surgery route. So I actually did an acute care surgery fellowship um, and loved it at the time, but of course was working a lot of crazy hours, doing a lot of on-call. And in my own kind of personal life, I was working a lot on my health. Um, I come from a background of having a lot of eating disorders, uh, started in my teens and throughout all of my adult life, basically decades of on and off, just dealing with food and body issues. So, you know, throughout my life, things kind of propped up or came up whenever things in my life changed where, you know, there was this shift in my life. I was doing something new, whether that be PA school or, or my job, my career. And then I found that my eating issues kind of followed me wherever I went. And so when I became a PA, I noticed that some of those old habits with emotional eating, overeating, binging, um, they were they were coming up again for me. And so I was really looking for some answers. I had really been searching my whole life for answers. And so I dove more into the natural health, holistic health kind of world and just learning about nutrition. And I found that the more I educated myself about taking care of myself and nutrition and eating, I was looking at food in a whole different way. And so that really began my own journey, my own personal journey. And after I kind of healed myself and had a transformation for myself, I thought, especially in healthcare, um, I don't think a lot of us are really taking the time to take care of ourselves. We kind of put ourselves on the back burner. And I knew that a lot of people were having similar challenges and struggles like I was. And so I was thinking, you know, I really want to try to help in this sort of way. So I actually became then a health coach. So I was working as a PA. I got certified as a health coach, a holistic health coach. And I was helping people kind of one-on-one. -on -one. This was before the pandemic started and we could kind of meet in person. So I was doing that on the side and I was really, really loving it and enjoying it. But as you can imagine, doing a surgical fellowship, 
plus working full time, meeting people one on one. You know, I was also a fitness instructor, so I was teaching classes at a gym. It was really crazy. Um, and so the pandemic hit, which almost was like a blessing in disguise for me because I got to scale back a little bit and just refocus on what I really wanted. And so I stopped seeing the health coaching clients one-on-one, and that's when I came across functional medicine. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's when I when I shifted gears and really started moving towards the virtual world and working with people online. Very cool. I think that this point that you make about as providers, we know how the body works, right? We know the pathophysiology and we know the theory behind things. And honestly, what we learned in school might not even be accurate anymore, but we think we know how, you know, calories in, calories out, weight loss, exercise, you know, burn more than you eat. We have these preconceived notions, whether true or inaccurate, but we're not great about taking care of our own body. It's almost like, we get in this mode where we're very busy saving everyone else and we're not taking care of ourselves. I have personally been there on this walk with burnout and with getting sick. And um, so I'm very thankful that there are people like you doing this work because it is so, so needed. So let's talk about functional medicine. What is it? What isn't it? And what do people often confuse it with? Because I think there are a lot of misunderstandings around functional medicine. Yeah, that's really great because there are. There are a lot of kind of misconceptions and people don't truly understand what it is or maybe where we're coming from or our intentions with it. So functional medicine is really, we call it a root-caused form of medicine. So we're looking at the root cause of whatever you're dealing with, whether that be how you're feeling, what your symptoms are, even what some of your chronic conditions are and where they may be coming from. So we really are kind of like investigators in functional medicine. We want to get deep down into the whys of basically how we're feeling. So sometimes in conventional medicine, a lot of times we go to our practitioner, we have a certain complaint or a symptom, and it's more of making you feel better by treating the symptom or, you know, just kind of maybe giving a medication or a referral to someone else. But, you know, we know the, the modern model and the conventional model, there's not a lot of time to do a lot of that investigative work and really ask all those questions to figure out that whole picture. So functional medicine is looking at all of those areas of our lives. It's really taking the time with a client or a patient to find out, you know, where could these symptoms be coming from? We learn about your background, your history. We're asking about your lifestyle, your sleep, your stress, your relationships, of course, your nutrition, because we don't want to just treat the symptom. We want to get down to the bottom of it. And once we can figure out where it's coming from, if we can take care of that, if we can treat that, then we're taking care of the problem overall. And that's where we can find the true transformation. So I think a lot of people get confused and they think that functional medicine is throwing a lot of supplements at people and things like that. And certainly we do very investigative work with very detailed, specialized testing. So the testing is much different than what we're used to, you know, and I do have still hospital jobs. So I work in both worlds. I work in the conventional model and I work 
in the functional medicine world. And so at my hospital job, we do kind of the basic panels, the basic blood labs, the chemistries, right, the hematology, all of that. Functional medicine, we take it layers deeper. So we're looking more at your cellular function, your metabolism, your hormones. We do complete gut analysis. We can do food sensitivity testing. We do genetics and DNA testing. So when we do this deeper dive investigative approach, we can really get down to that root cause that, you know, when we go to our general practitioner, both goals in both worlds are to help someone feel better, right? So it all comes from a very, you know, heart-centered place. Um, But in functional medicine, we just take I think a little bit more time to look at everything overall. And that's kind of the aspect of where the aspect of coaching comes in too, because then we can discuss with our patients and clients lifestyle change, lifestyle modifications, and we can have, you know, more frequent appointments, more frequent meetings with them so that we can do things in a stepwise approach. We can follow up. We can check up. We can have more accountability, things like that, so that the patient is continually making progress in their journey. Sometimes in the conventional mo- model, you go for a hospital visit, you go to the ER, you go to your doctor. There's a long gap between the times where you know those visits happen. So it's like, who's checking in to making sure you're feeling better and we're actually figuring this out for you? What I hear you saying in this functional medicine versus traditional medicine or the medicine that we think of when we think of my insurance pays for my well visit or my physical with my primary care provider is that that provider is treating your symptom, whereas the functional medicine provider is investigating, finding the source and working to heal the process as opposed to just treating the symptom. Yes, that's it. That's right. That's it in a nutshell. Which I think is important. I think it's important to realize that if you're tachycardic, your symptom is your elevated heart rate, but your source might be your thyroid, right? So like there could be something that's happening under the surface that needs investigation that could be discovered based on a conversation and symptoms and how you're feeling or detailed labs, but that simply saying, here's a beta blocker, hope you feel better, see you in six months, call us if anything changes, is not the same as continually asking the question, why? Why is this happening? What's the underlying process? What can we do to make you feel better? Not just put a bandaid over your symptoms and see you in six months. That's right. That's absolutely right. Mm Mm-hmm. So as very busy professionals who have a lot of things going on, maybe there are kids, maybe you have a spouse, maybe you are walking through a season where things are hard and busy and you feel like your health goals are not really number one on the list. What can we do about that? What stands in our way of really prioritizing our health and reaching those goals and what can we do about it? Yeah, that's really great because I think with our lives, we are so busy. We have so much on our plates and we kind of stack it on and we feel like we're like almost superhuman. You know, we take on everything. And so with doing that, you know, I think that sometimes, like we talked about, our own health goals kind of get 
secondary to that or put on the back burner. And when I talk to a lot of women and I, you know, I ask them the question very directly, what do you think holds you back most with getting to your health goals? Well, a lot of people will say time. You know, I'm so busy. I don't have time. My my schedule is so hectic. When would I fit it in? You know, I don't have time to do a five-hour meal prep on a Sunday, nor do I have the energy to do it. I don't feel like doing that, being in the kitchen for that long. Um, it's hard to get to the gym. It's hard to work out. So I think it's really because a lot of us can't just overhaul our lives. We can't just quit our jobs, quit our careers, quit our kids, you know, and our daily responsibilities. So it's really finding out what can work and sink into our schedule. And I think what holds a lot of people back, and especially a lot of the women that I talk to, is that they think it has to be this grand plan where we go to the gym for two hours every single day. You know, we do that meal prep every day. We're in the kitchen for hours. And what I help to teach is really just healthy hacks that sink or fit right into your daily schedule so that you can make it work for you because it really is doable. And I know this because I've done it myself. I had to. Like I talked about when I was doing a surgical fellowship, I was also working as a health coach, having consultations all the time. And I was working on my health journey and I wanted that to be number one. So I had to make it work for me and my schedule. So time is really a big one that a lot of women especially say that holds them back. So we have to just work with what you have, with what you have going on to fit it in. Um, And then the other one that a lot of women say, you know, really holds them back is like I kind of touched on. Sometimes we feel like we have to do everything all at once. And as we go into 2023 and we're thinking about kind of these New Year's resolutions and these big goals that we set, a lot of times we just set the bar way too high for ourselves. And I see that a lot, um, especially in healthcare. We're kind of the the high achievers, the go-getters, the adrenaline junkies. If you're like me, I'm like a recovering perfectionist. I call myself that type A. And so we set these big lofty goals, which there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't have the plan in between where it's like set the little goals, the little stepping stones along the way to get there. You know, you don't have to, if you're training for a marathon, you're not going to do it the very next day after you decide that you want to run 26.2 miles. There has to be a training plan in place. So I think with emotional eating and just eating and food issues, sometimes we think that we have to be perfect. So if we want to get to our health goals, we think, I have to follow this perfect plan. I have to follow this perfect diet. I can't eat anything good or bad. We start labeling things as good or bad. And the second, the very second that we mess up or we don't follow it or we have a bad day, we do the thing where we throw in the towel. We say, you know, we lie in bed. We say the things like, I'm going to start over tomorrow. Might as well just start over Monday because I ruined my day today. And so if we start to reframe our mindset saying that, you know, it's okay if we have the little slip ups, you know, look towards the next meal, look towards the next part of our day, right? And just refocus because we need to allow ourselves that space to not be perfect because we aren't, we're humans. So I think the perfectionist mentality can really hold us back with our goals because 
like I said, the moment that we don't follow that very stringent plan that we set on ourselves, we give up. We say, well, I messed up. I might as well just go back to the old way. So we really try to kind of restructure that, set little goals that are very manageable, also goals that people are excited about achieving. I think that's a really good you know, combination, setting small goals and something that you're excited about doing. You know, if it's something you dread doing, it's going to be really hard to accomplish that goal, right? So I think that's that's really important. But those are some of the things that women say hold them back. And then the third that I would say I hear most of all is people will say, you know, I just don't have any willpower. Um, I have no willpower. At the end of the day, I'm just tired. And I find myself in the kitchen. I'm in the cabinets, in the refrigerator. And I just, you know... I just keep eating and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I have no self-discipline. And if you get to know me after a while, um, you'll know that my stance on willpower is that it's really not an issue of willpower. At the end of the day, we really are exhausted. And so it is more difficult to make those decisions that are aligned with your health goals. But really, when women are struggling with things like emotional eating and cravings, that's where the functional medicine piece comes in because those things, those issues, those challenges are coming from somewhere. There's a cause to it. There's a root cause. And that's where that functional medicine piece comes in. What's causing the cravings at night? What's causing the emotional eating? It's not a lack of willpower. It might be an imbalance of your gut, of your hormones. Your metabolism might not be firing as optimally as it should be right? So we do that investigative approach to figure out the why. So it's really not a lack of willpower. And when I tell people that, you know, it kind of gives them a little relief. It's like this burden lift off, lift off of their shoulders. Like it's not you, we can figure out why this is going on. Absolutely. And the studies show that we have a certain amount of brain power and specific concrete willpower. So if you in the morning are making the good decisions and walking by the donuts in the break room and not yelling at your kids and making sure everything gets done at work and you're making all the quote unquote right decisions or kind of behaving or thinking like, oh, I'm doing a good job. I'm making the right choice, the right choice, the right choice. When you get to the end of the day, you actually have used up that ability to resist temptation. And so it's not like, oh, I'm weak because in the evening I eat ice cream. It's like I used it up. Like literally I had a specific amount and all day long I had to make all of these choices and I was cognizant and I was intentional and I did things in the way that made me feel good. And then you sort of run out. So my question for you. How do we know? I mean, are cravings bad? Like are sometimes cravings telling us like what we actually want and need from a nutritional standpoint are all cravings bad? I love that question. That's a great question because cravings come up a lot. And so the cravings are not bad. And it is honestly kind of listening to your body and what you may need. And what I like to say is sometimes when we have cravings for sweets or carbs, you know, our body can't say exactly what it needs. It can't say, you know, I'm deficient in protein. So, you know, <laughs> you're really big nice. steak tonight or something like that, right? I know it'd be so great if we had that very direct message or signal for our body what it needs. So 
we feel these cravings that we want something, but we don't know exactly what the body needs. So that's where that testing comes in to figure out where there might be that imbalance, where there might be that deficiency, because you might have a bacteria or a bacterium that's overgrowing in the gut and certain bacteria or yeast crave sweets. So literally it's telling you like, eat sweets, eat sweets. I want that, right? And so we don't know where that's coming from unless we test for it. So cravings aren't bad because it's literally telling you that your body is screaming for something that it probably wants and doesn't have. Um, And sometimes cravings also, we talk about these physiological imbalances, like in our biology, like I talked about metabolism, hormones, gut health. Sometimes it can be psychological too as well. So what do we need psychologically? A lot of times that boils down to more of stress management as well because like we know, we can use food to cope with pretty much any emotion that we're having. And a lot of times, especially in our field, you know, in healthcare as practitioners, we are a lot of times locked in that chronic stress response state. And so when we don't shut that down, when we don't shut down the sympathetic nervous system response and go into our parasympathetic, a lot of times we'll cope with that stress by eating because we've known basically since we were born that, you know, the baby cries for mom, the mom gives the baby food, the baby feels better. We know that food will make us feel better. It's like the instantaneous solution. We know that, right? It's built in. So a lot of times we turn to food in times of stress. So it's really learning different coping mechanisms with stress, number one. And then number two is how do we shut down the stress response and get into that relaxation state and slow down? And I know it's so hard, especially in our field, to slow down. We're in that go, go, go chaotic mode. But that really is key to getting down to healing these issues. We interrupt this broadcast with a very important announcement. You are not making enough money. Your practice and your physician do not understand the value you are adding to their patients, and therefore, you aren't earning what you're worth. If in the past your requests for a raise have been met with one single word, no. If you're working more hours than ever and seeing more patients, but you're not making any more money and you're feeling pissed about it. If you feel like you've hit the ceiling of your income band, this guide is for you. I've compiled the five most costly and most common mistakes that PAs make when asking for a raise, and I've told you how to avoid them and what to do instead. Download your free guide at tracybingaman.com mistakes. So let's talk about a couple practical strategies for you're going through your day, you're in the hospital, you're in your clinic, you're running your kids to daycare. How long and what can you do kind of as you go through your day to switch from that parasympathetic, from that sympathetic, like fight or flight, like I'm intubating someone, I'm coding someone, somebody's sick, someone's clamping in aorta, or even like I'm in the family practice office and everyone needs me right now to calming down? Like, can you do it while you're eating lunch? Can you do it while you're driving to get your kids from daycare? When can you figure out how to get out of that sympathetic nervous system? Yeah. And that's the perfect example because we are like adrenaline junkies, go, 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 super busy. So it it can be hard. But the good news is, is that you don't have to do much 
to switch down to that parasympathetic and get into that relaxation response. I like to tell my clients and my community, when you're at work, I know everything is unpredictable. You know, I'm eating while I'm working. It's like a working lunch all the time. But what you can do, especially before you eat, is just stop for a minute and take a couple very deep breaths, slow deep breaths. This can be a minute or two. And honestly, those slow deep breaths, especially with a longer exhale and just focusing on that just for a minute will bring you down. So it can be something very simple like that because nobody has time to do a meditation for 20 minutes while you're at work. So those slow deep breaths really help. And then I like to tell people too, when you come home from work, if you can turn off your distractions during mealtime, that's everything. And I know at work that's very difficult to do. So in work time when it's chaos, you know, all that busyness around you, I focus on the breath work. And you can certainly do that when you're at home too. But I think a lot of us are used to coming home, throwing dinner on the table, everybody's running around, the TV's on, we're on our devices, our laptops, things like that. Can you make mealtime a more, you know, dedicated time to just eating? You know, and so if you can turn down distractions, just focus on the meal, focus on the food, the textures, what you're tasting, all of your senses lighting up, that helps as well. And those are two really, really great strategies that we can get started with to, to, to turn on that parasympathetic nervous system response. I think that that is really valuable information. Like you were talking and I was taking deep breaths and I actually feel better now, like even though we're recording. And so I'm a little like, oh, you know, I get a little wound up when we press record. But even just like I took a couple of deep breaths as you were saying that and already I'm like, oh, I feel just a little calmer, just a little more centered. Um Certainly I'm still like on alert because we're still talking, but it's just a little like less. I just feel less. Yes. So the next thing that I want to get into is if you could talk a little bit about hunger cues, because like today I'm driving home, I pick my kids up at daycare and of course they're starving, right? Like they're like, <laughs> yeah. I have three little kids. Well, I have five kids, but three of them are very young. So I pick them up from daycare and one says, mom, what's for dinner? It's literally his first question. I'm like, Hey buddy, how is school? He's like, what's for dinner? You know, like he's starving. I'm like, he hasn't eaten all day. You know, I'm sure you know, starving him. So I say, Oh, we're having, it's Tuesday. We're having tacos. So we'll have like a rotation of different kinds of tacos on Tuesdays at our house. And he says, I'm hungry. And so my daughter, of course, she has to one-up him. I'm starving. She says, I'm starving. And my older one, who's seven in the way back, says, mom. And I'm like, listen, if you tell me that you're hungry, like I know we're on our way home. Dad is making tacos. They're going to be hot and ready. To he will have the toppings on the counter. Like you can't be any more efficient. He's making the tacos right now. And I say, if you say you're hungry, he goes, oh, no no, no, I don't feel hungry. I feel hangry. <laughs> so I'm like, one that's hungry, one that's starving, hangry. one that's hangry, hangry. just like to, to change it up there. So I honestly, I feel like for me going throughout my day, I don't necessarily eat when I feel hungry. I eat 
when I can. I eat, you know, when I have an opportunity between mornings and work, you know, when I have my midday break between patients, you know, I maybe get something at 3 p.m. if I can and then dinner at 6. But really, I'm not at 6 like, huh, am I hungry? It's more like functional. Like we're eating right now. We got to go to karate. We don't have like, oh, I can (laughs) eat anytime between 4 and 8. I don't know whose life is like that, but it's not mine. So how can we within the constraints of our lives and our schedules and things that are happening, listen to those hunger cues and kind of tune in, even if it's that just like, how much am I going to eat during this meal with my family as we're sitting down? Yes. I think that's a great point because, you know, just piggybacking of what I talked about before with that being in that chronic stress state, when we are in that state, when we're in that sympathetic nervous system response, then We don't get those signals from our body and we don't listen. We can't get those messages from our body like we can when we're in the parasympathetic. So when we're chronically stressed all the time, sometimes people don't even get those body cues. And I hear a lot of people saying like, I'm so busy during the day, I don't even feel hungry. How many times have you honestly said that? And it's really because we're just not getting that message because we're just in go, go, go mode. So the first step really is, you know, switching down to the parasympathetic so that we can actually start listening to our bodies more. And there's this concept that I like to talk about called embodiment. And when we do slow down, we start checking more into our bodies. We start to just embody that and we can listen to those messages. And it's unbelievable how when people start getting more into that relaxation response, they can actually hear those messages and those signals that the body is is giving. So that's an important step to kind of work on first so that we are more in tune with those signals. And while we're doing that, I think it's really important, like you said, it's more of functional with our busy schedules. You don't have that block of time from 4 to 8 p.m. to be like, I'm just going to wait till I'm hungry because that would be the, the best case scenario because then we're actually eating when our body wants to be nourished with food. But in the meantime, I think it is a great strategy to plan out times throughout the day that we are eating because the part where it can really derail is if we are really busy throughout the day and when women say, I'm so busy, I hardly eat anything all day. Well, if you let yourself go so long without eating and such long stretches without food, you know, a lot of times it ends up at night. That's when the overeating, the emotional eating and all of that can set in because your body's finally getting, you know, home and getting relaxed. And it's like, okay, I can, I can finally eat now. And it's like, we're almost making up for that lost time. So it's really important in your day to figure out, you know, even if it is on the go, which isn't ideal, but figuring out when you can have blocks of eating time. And then also, if you're not receiving those messages like that you're hungry, just making sure that you choose very balanced meals or snacks. And when I talk about balance, I mean macronutrient balance. So making sure you're getting in enough foods from the different food groups, but especially those proteins, fats, and carbs. Because when we don't eat in balance of our macros, that can also kind of set us up for quote unquote failure at the end of the day when we're craving certain things, again, because we might be deficient in a certain macronutrient group. 
right? And that's without taking into consideration very specific nutrition plans or diets that people follow. Um, even on a ketogenic diet, people are still eating carbs, right? So they're still getting that macronutrient. But I think when we're listening to our body and trying to pick up on those cues, making sure that we're eating in that balance, we're bringing in enough protein, we're bringing in enough of those fiber-filled carbs and those veggies and healthy fats throughout our day so that we're not missing out on certain things. And then certainly not going too long without eating because we've all been in that state where all of a sudden we're like not hungry all day, maybe didn't eat anything all day, and then we get home and what happens? I'm starving. I'm, you know, hangry, hangry ravenous, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to to find those blocks and to plan for when you're going to eat because if you don't, you won't, which kind of leads me into what I want to talk to ne- talk about next, which is this mentality of being a caregiver, being a provider, being someone who feels called to, as your passion and purpose and the professional aspect of your life, to take care of other people and how that kind of fits in with what we're talking about, which is taking care of yourself. And I, there were periods of time in my life where as a new mom, I definitely wasn't taking care of myself, where as a new PA, I was so overwhelmed by the responsibility that came with having other people's lives in my hands that I forgot to eat or felt like, uh, listen, I I can't take care of myself. There were days when I was a urology PA that I ran around the hospital and I helped 20 other patients pee and make sure that they were emptying their bladder. And I got to the end of the day and I was like, first of all, I don't think I have to pee because I haven't had one sip of water all day. And even like I, even if I had to pee, I would have just ignored it because I had too many other people to make sure their bladders were empty to worry about my own. So talked about your experience with that. Talk about how we can change that mindset that we're either last on the list of people who we are taking care of or worse, not even on the list at all. Right, right. And that's just, I kind of laugh at your example there because it's so true. I mean, we go incredible stretches of time with not even drinking water and like not having to go to the bathroom our whole entire shift because we just put it off. We're helping everybody first. That's, I mean, that's just an incredible example of kind of what we do. And we really just prioritize because it's built into our nature. We're those caregivers. We're those healers. We put other people first and care for them first before ourselves. And I think especially we talk about the last, I guess, two and a half going on three years. This has been even more so when we've just, we've been lost on prioritizing ourselves and our health. Um, I look around, you know, in in healthcare and where I work and the hospitals and everything like that. And sometimes you just think about it and you're like, wow, like we're the most unhealthy group of people. We take care of other people. We're saving other people's lives, you know, watching out for them. But we just don't put it at the top of our list. And I think here it's just important to remember that you know, when you're, we talk about this example all the time, when we're pouring from that empty cup, you know, when we haven't filled up our own cup, we're not giving our best selves, right? And everything that we have to offer, all of our strengths, all of our skills, 
you know, they're best delivered when we are our best too. And the only way that we can do that, and it's so hard. I know it's so hard because I was in the same spot too, but we really, really have to put ourselves first and our health, our health first. And that does not mean that you can't care for other people. It just means that you'll be able to care for other people better. So I think now more than ever, is the time where a lot of people are starting to think and and shifting their their focus, you know, to I need to really take care of me now. I've been putting everybody else first, and that doesn't even have to be in our profession or our, our careers. It can be family members and friends too, right? Because of all these responsibilities to others. But you can absolutely prioritize yourself. You can prioritize your health. And we talked about kind of in the beginning, you can do all that without it having to be this huge block of time in your life, just fitting in these small healthy hacks and tweaks and then building them up over time. I talk about this concept of habit stacking. So it's kind of developing one small habit and getting that down pat, right? And then adding to it, building another habit. And that's really how we build a new lifestyle, but we can't do that overnight. It definitely takes time. I think that's kind of the key to start thinking about how can we prioritize our health a little bit more and and then just changing that mindset of, you know, when I put into me, when I work on me, then I'm giving my best version to other people. And it really is true because it shifts your energy, you know, it shifts how you carry out your everyday life and carry out your job. And as a provider, you're in a position where patients are looking up to you. And if you're a parent, the same is true for your kids. And I truly, truly deeply believe it is more impactful to the people who see you as a role model for you to show it than to say it. So if you say to your kids, health is important and physical activity matters. And then they spend 20 years never seeing you move your body and you take them to soccer and you sit on the sidelines. I think the better example is like they're warming up for soccer and you're jogging around the field, right? You're moving your body as you're telling them why physical health matters. And instead of saying like, you only get one body, like let's take care of our bodies. You're taking care of your own body. And they see you doing that and they are impacted by it. The same is true when you have a patient and you say, hey, you're pre-diabetic. What I'd really like to see you do is X, Y, Z. And you're thinking in the back of your mind, oh, they're never going to do this, or I couldn't do this, or this isn't how I'm living my life. You're just going to come across in a less empathetic, less authentic way because you're saying you should change your lifestyle, but you're not sort of walking the walk as the provider. I was going to say, yep. It's like walking the talk, not just talking or walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's absolutely true. The strongest message that we can deliver is really just taking action ourselves. It has the biggest impact, like you mentioned. And yeah, just setting that example, setting that role model for our patients our kids, our other family members, because sometimes you can give as much advice as you're going to give and people won't follow it. But when they can see what you're doing and then they can see the results or the progress or the influence that that's having for you in your life, you know, when I started doing that, then people ask questions and they're like, what are you doing? I want what you're having. Like, I want to do what you're you're doing. And it's really just 
you're walking the walk. And that's the greatest example. Yeah, absolutely. So if people are looking to have more of you in their lives and they're saying, hey, this is a role model that I want. How can I get in community with Amber? How can I go, you know, find her, connect with her online? Where are all the places that we can find you? Well, I love that. I love that. And I'd love to connect with people too. I'm always looking for like-minded people so we can support each other and lift each other up. And so I actually have a Facebook community. So when I was talking about you know, my audience and who I really connect with. I do have a community on Facebook. Um, The name of our group, it's called Banish Burnout and End Emotional Eating. And anybody is free to join it. It's a free community. Um, I do trainings in there all of the time. And it's really fun. It's very supportive. We have a great group in there. And it's a very active and interactive group as well. So that would be the number one place, Spanish Burnout and End Emotional Eating. And then I also have a website. That place, that website, my um, address, it's Amber M, as in mom, Bender. So it's my name with my middle initial, AmberMBender.com. And again, that place is a great spot for resources, for trainings, um, how to kind of get connected with me. But those are the two best places where we can stay in touch and you can learn more about kind of what I do. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amber, for sharing this. I absolutely feel that this is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners who needed that reminder to take the deep breath, to tune back into their body and to be cognizant of this as we go through life. So thank you so much for being on. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a true honor. Wow. Sometimes I feel like the universe brings me the exact right guest at the exact right time. Those were some things that I really needed to hear about resetting my mindset around food and cravings and identifying the source as opposed to treating just the symptom. Thank you, as always, for spending your time listening to the PA is in. It means so much to me that you are a part of this community and that you showed up and tuned in and reminded yourself that you matter and that your health is so important. If this conversation with Amber helped you in any way, if it helped you to feel less alone and more a part of this community of hardworking healthcare workers who are working to prioritize ourselves amid all the hats that we are wearing on a day-to-day um, process, I would really appreciate it if you would head to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. Those reviews are life-giving to a show like ours. Remember to take a screenshot and share this on social, text it to your friends and colleagues who need the reminder that they are important and that their health matters too. Thank you for tuning into the show by PAs for PAs, where we help you to design your life so that you can live long and prosper. It's your turn to get inspired, to take effective action, and to become one of those unicorn PAs who loves their job, has abundant energy, time to spare, and work optional financial freedom. I will see you next time. This PA is out.